My name is Emily Barney, and you're listening to Backyard Pet Talk with Shannon Riley. And this is our positive puppy edition. Uh, hello, Emily. My little recap that any of you who have listened to have heard this a couple times, so just bear with me. But if you're new, Emily is one of my besties, and she got a puppy. And so we decided that instead of me just answering all of her billions of questions, in real life person, we would record this so you could benefit from hearing all of the answers because they're probably the same questions that you have. We have lots and lots of episodes already recorded. So if this is your first episode you're listening to, go back and listen. We have everything from before you get your puppy to all the way through training and potty training and how all kinds of things, sleeping and napping. So go check those out. And then otherwise, just enjoy our little conversation here. So the theme of today's questions is from surviving to thriving. I've had Teddy for about two months now, and it like has gone by so fast, but also so slow. And I sort of the overarching theme also is not jumping from preschool to college. So I'm coming out of having a very well-trained, very, you know, routine-oriented adult dog and going all the way back to an eight-week-old puppy. And I for sure forgot how much work a puppy was, (laughs) for sure. But now, you know, after two months, I feel like we're starting to settle I have a list of questions where I'm like, okay, he's potty trained, right? He's mostly not chewing on things. Really that surviving piece of like, what the heck did I do getting this tiny little puppy has, we've worked out. But now I want to really look at how do we continue to build our relationship and really grow into an integrated life. So something that I try to remind people, like you said, puppies are a lot of work and, you know, it's, it's a lot to have a puppy and all of this stuff and all the work you put into it. But what I can tell you is it's totally worth it. So the more time you put in now and the work you put in now for puppies and you create the routines, which we're going to be talking about, and we create the you know, training and they get fluent in all of these behaviors that we have taught them to help so that they can be in different situations safely. It is so worth it when you get past that place where basically they're fluent, like being fluent in a language down the road in a couple years, you can still do training and treat tricks or you can teach new sports or you can do things like that. But the foundation is there and it is so much easier when you have a dog that you just say sit once and you don't have to like say it in any specific tone, you just say sit and they just do it or went down or come or like with my dogs, like everything is just a conversation of like, come, you know, let's go sit, stay, you know, everything. It's just whatever I need to help them in a situation. It's not me controlling them or it's just us having like a situation sort of like I'd say, Hey, can you sit over here for a minute? If I was talking to you in real person and say, I needed you to sit, we were at a restaurant. Can you sit at this chair? Cause I need to sit here so I can see this or this chair is more comfortable for me. Or can you come over here now? Like not just like I would be talking to a friend in that same tone. And because they're so fluent in all those behaviors, because I spent a lot of time when they were young, I'm not constantly training now and not constantly solving to give treats for everything. And, and they're not expecting treats for everything. They just, they just respond. Like we respond to each other. I just want to like point out that it's hard work now 
but the more you put in and the more consistent and the more specific and, you know, you do now, it makes it easier as adults, you know, you don't have that anymore. Well, and like, I think I probably am surprised about this at every single podcast recording we've done, but like, it feels to me like I don't have enough time to do all the things that I know that I should be doing to set him up for success because he has to sleep. 18 to 20 hours yeah. a day, which only leaves four to six hours to actually do all the stuff that you're supposed to be doing. And that is not a lot of time. And we've talked about this before that I got a little ahead of myself. So, you know, <laughs> before we even started puppy class, like I was starting to teach him sit, but sit was not solid at all. And then me, I was like, I'm going to teach him to shake. That will be cute. Great. Guess what's getting in the way of me teaching him like a clean sit and a clean down is his give me five. So mm -hmm. I want you to talk through and like this is whatever a, a, a theme of my life is trying to go from kindergarten to college <laughs> instead of like processing the right steps. And and so talk to me about like what is the like almost like a do not pass go like you need to have three things down before you train a fourth thing like is there a cadence to that you're not the only person I have to advise this and sometimes in some of my in my agility class specifically we joke that I need to write a book about like life lessons that you learn from dog training because a couple things that I always say is why well, I say don't go from kindergarten to college so don't you know, that just means, and I just was saying this last night in my agility class, like when you're learning agility, it's a journey, not a destination, because you're always can be learning. You can be do agility, your dog's entire life and still be learning. It's a, and that's the same thing with some of these other things. It's a journey, not a destination. So yeah, you want to get to a, a specific goal. Maybe you want a canine good citizen or something, but that's not the end all be all. It's not like, oh, down, we're here. That then what's the next thing? And what's the next thing? So it's a journey. So you're always learning. So you don't want to put that pressure on yourself that they have to learn this all today. And that happens sometimes like we were doing weave poles and this one person just wanted to keep doing it. Like, like in one hour, the dog was going to go from open weave poles to close weave poles, like perfect weave poles. Like, no, it's not going to happen that way. And if you're not practicing in between classes, it's really not going to happen like that. So, you know, it's, it's a journey, not a destination. So you, cause if you don't enjoy it too, you miss out on a lot of it, you know, like, I have three teenagers, you know, and I've been very involved in their lives and, and have been, you know, Girl Scout leader and this and that. And I'm really glad that I enjoyed all of that journey um, because now we're at graduating and moving, you know, going to college and stuff and they're going to be gone and, and I'm never going to get that journey back. So enjoying while you're puppy, while you're doing all these things, but don't rush things and then focus on what's important. Like what's, what's the most important thing first that's one thing. I, and that means also being present when you're doing it. So it's like, I always tell people don't multitask when you're training your dog. So if you're on a walk with your dog, turn your phone off, just walk with your dog, pay attention to what they're doing, pay attention to what scares them or they like teach them while you're on a walk, you know, sits down, incorporate some of your training in there, but being present because if you're not present, the walk can go really sour. You, nobody's really enjoying it. So being present, enjoying the journey and fast is slow and slow as fast is something I say all the time, because when you do try to speed through everything, usually there's mistakes and you make a lot of mistakes and you actually can take longer to get somewhere. If you try to speed through it, because there's so many mistakes, rather than taking your time and doing one step at a time, you actually can get further faster with more success and less stress. So those are some of my little like things that I say a lot to people, but for puppy's sake, 
you have to remember everything they're learning is new and you can overwhelm them with too much information. So when we're learning to read, we learn alphabet first. So we learn what the letters look like, capital letters, lowercase letters, and then we learn what they sound like. And then we learn what they are when we put a couple together, like three letter words or, you know, bad, sad, glad, like we learn like small things. And then after we learn small things, then we learn small sentences, you know, C spot, go, you know, C spot, run, you know, like not detailed. We don't go from not knowing anything and reading the Odyssey, you know, reading Great Gatsby. We don't do that. We go really slow to get to that place where you can do it. Because if we tried to do that, reading wouldn't be fun. You would get frustrated and you wouldn't do it. So we need to take everything slow. So when you're learning things, so we'll just use my puppy class as an example because Teddy's in puppy class and a lot of puppy classes are simple. So the first class is like just as getting puppies used to it, working on sit, maybe sit, stay if if they're able to start having a duration sit stay, which only is a couple seconds. We're not talking like my first goal is to get them up to 30 seconds in a sit stay without distance or without distraction. And that could take six weeks. And that's okay. As long as you're progressing and you know, it's moving forward, but that means practice and then name game. So looking, learning to respond when you say their name and getting the people used to using a clicker, if they're going to use the clicker in class. So like very small expectations, and so like Emily self um, aware said, you know, well, I was went through too fast, like, and now Teddy's struggling with sit stay because it seemed like, oh, it's just like an easy, you know, because her scooter was good at it. So it's like, oh, that's an easy behavior, but it's not easy for your puppy. You've done it. You've trained a dog to do it, but they, it's not easy. So you have to meet them at their level. And that's all training. You need to meet the dog where they're at. I also work. With I work privately with people, I always meet where my people are at because if people are overwhelmed with life, you know, we make less expectations for them so they don't get frustrated. So like if you were working with um, going back to puppy class week one, that week you would only do sit, maybe you'd work on a sit stay duration of, you know, five seconds, 10 seconds, release five seconds, 10 seconds, and then name game and saying his name, clicking and treating when he looked at you. And then you would still be doing your socialization. You would still be doing all of those other things. But us as humans, we want to do everything all at once, but then you really muddy those waters. So if you go and you just take it slow, there's a reason that it, the way that like I have my cup, my curriculum for my puppy class, it's a gradual progression. And we don't do hard behaviors until a couple of weeks in, like drop it, leave it is and loose leash walking isn't until later because I want the person to be used to training and getting used to how to do it. And the puppy needs to like have learned by then how to learn and that they start to figure out that their, their behavior has a consequence positive in our situation. You know, like when you sit right, you get a treat. They have to start figuring out that they have some power in that. Like, oh, if I stay here, I get a treat, you know, and they have, they have that there's going to be a benefit for them, which is also why you don't want to give up continuous reinforcement too soon because they're like, why would I sit? I don't really feel like sitting right now. You want me to sit, but I want to go do something else. And you have not shown me that it's beneficial for me to sit for you because you haven't paid me enough. My emotional bank account's not full enough. So why should I do this for you at this point? So keeping it really very specific. Instead of worrying about trying to do multiple behaviors, why don't we get really good at this one? And then when we can add another one the next week when we add down. But that also brings me something that we've talked about off the podcast, but 
name game is where I have you say your dog's name. They look at you. They redirect at you. It doesn't have to be perfect eye contact. Where they look at you and then you click and treat for them turning back. Because down the road, if they were running on the street, you would say, you know, Teddy. And you want him to reflexively go, what? Sort of like if someone says one of our names or if you're a mom and you hear, if I'm in Target, I don't want to even be with my children. And I'll hear mom and I might look as a reflex and then realize, oh, I don't have my kids with me. So that's not me. But, you know, same thing if you hear your name. If I hear somebody say Shannon, even if. I don't think I know anybody there. I'm going to look and then go, okay, it's nobody. They're calling somebody else. We want that. Now what a struggle comes and the only time when dog, if unless people don't practice, obviously they don't practice this then dogs don't learn it. But where dogs do get confused is when we say their names all the time. So we're like sitting there and we're watching TV and we look over and, oh, you know, Teddy or Fido, whatever. Oh, you're so cute, Fido. Oh, Fido, what are you doing over there, Fido? Oh, you want to come over here and sit with me, Fido? Oh, Fido. Well, pretty soon it's like, oh my God, stop, you know, saying my name. And they actually can become, it can become aversive because they're like, at first they're like, oh, you want me, you want me. And then it's almost like you're just harassing them. And imagine right. if, you know, I use this example because when I used to be a manager at a vet hospital, I was the manager and head tech. Anytime there was a problem, whether it was with a machine, a computer, staff, it, I was the go-to person and it would get Shannon, Shannon. And I'd be sitting at my desk trying to work on reports or on a, you know, file, Shannon, Shannon. And I literally would tell people, I am going to change my name and I'm not telling any of you what it is because it's distracting it's annoying when people are constantly asking you without figuring out, like, sometimes I'm like, did you even look to see if we have any more paper in the file? Or did you even try to figure this out yourself? You know, it would get annoying. So when you're, and I've had other clients where name game doesn't go well, and it's usually because we overuse their name and they just tune you out and, and it can become almost annoying because they're like, what? You know, what do you want? So like, that's where you also want to make sure you're not even sit can do it too. When some people like, I have some people who are like, sit, sit, sit for everything for their dog. And it's like, if they're standing and they're not jumping and there's not a problem, do they really need to be sitting like 24 seven, like in my agility class, you know, they're waiting in line. If they're standing and not jumping on you and they're, they're not pulling you, why can't they just stand if that's what they want to do? Like, why can't they, you know, if they want to sit, that's fine but people start harassing them to do these things that are like, really ask yourself, why are you arbitrary? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so that way, especially when you're doing a puppy and you're trying to train them, you have to keep your training really clean. Well, and so that was like the big aha for me because, you know, I love training to, to say, please, like, I don't want to bark at me. I don't want you to scratch at something. Like if you, if you want something, you can tell me that you want something by sitting and indicating like, Hey, could I have the rawhide that's in that pantry? I had mentioned to you that I was working on sit to say, please. And you're like, what are you doing? My dude, he doesn't even know sit. <laughs> of course he's not going to do sit to say, please. Like, and so that to me was like such a aha, like kindergarten to college moment of like, yes, I do like sit to say, please sit in front of the door to ask to go outside. Like, I love that. He is not ready to read yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare because yeah. he is still learning his alphabet. So like that yeah, was a exactly. big, um, a big one for me. Talk to, what are some common signs of 
confusion. So I had described to you and and we did some videotapes too of, you know, what I was experiencing in my training sessions with Teddy, where like I had everything set up. I had my clicker. I had the high value treats. Like he was in a contained area. You know, he does know sit. He's not a plus at it, but like, it's not the first day I'm training sit, but then he would like do the God, I, we call it Godzilla puppy in my family. Uh-huh. So he would uh-huh. be doing the Godzilla puppy or he'd jump up and bite me or something. And you said that, well, yeah, he's confused. He doesn't actually know what you're asking of him. So what are some common signs that puppies are confused? It's not that they're misbehaving or they don't want to learn or, or whatever. It's like, they just don't actually know what you want from them. Well, and that's a huge thing in general. Like people, it drives me crazy when people are like, well, my dog knows they're not supposed to be on the couch. Or they know they're not supposed no, to do they this. Don't. Uh, they know there's well, they know they're supposed to do this. Well, how do you know they know that? Because if they knew it and you had trained it well, then they would do it. And so it's that's not clear. With puppies, particularly, because if you expect too much. So I see a lot of barking at the person. I see that in agility. Dogs, if a lot of times, not all the time, but if you see a dog barking a lot in agility, like when they're running a course, sometimes it's excitement. So it's not always, but sometimes it's frustration because they're not getting clear signals from their handler and dogs can get really frustrated if you know they are you know like not sure what to do so they can do that they'll walk away if they're frustrated and they'll tune out they'll just be like i'm done you know they'll start offering other behaviors like you saw with like the the jumping up or the biting and the problem is is sometimes we accidentally reinforce the behaviors that we don't actually want. So he jumps up and bites you and you go, "Ow, stop it. Don't bite me." Well, he's like, "Oh, I just got some attention." You know, well that worked. That was something. And so I'll do that again because that got me at least attention. So I'm just going to keep doing what's getting me attention because I don't, he doesn't know in his head, he doesn't have like this compass, the moral compass of puppy hands saying, oh, I shouldn't be biting my mom. Like, he's just like, this worked and it got attention. Oh yeah, I'll do it again. You know, pawing gets attention, jumping up, you know, people push them down and it gets attention or they say no, or they say off. You give very, you know, mixed signals. And so with the sit, sometimes we also, you have to remember that puppies, dogs in general, learn hand signals and body motion faster than verbal. So like we think, oh, they understand sit because when I said sit this one time, they did it. Well, they could have just been guessing like, okay, well, she just said words. I'm going to offer this and you treated it, but it doesn't mean they know that that was right. I mean, we all have 50, 50 chances if we know, you know, like, you know, if you do a multiple choice, you've got a 25% chance if there's four questions of getting it right. And sometimes you get it right. That doesn't mean you know what the subject that you're doing making sure they really know. So I always tell people, if you say it once and they don't get it, go back to Lauren, go back to the Hansen, go back to what they know, because then they can be right. Then they can be right. And when you start to do, if you do five hand signals and they do it right and you click and treat or whatever. And then the next time you say, sit, they're going to kind of guess and go, well, is this it? And then they click it. They'll start putting that together, but that takes repetition too. Cause just because they got it right once, from the verbal, it was probably a guess. And they may have just gone, well, I sat a second ago and got a treat. So I'm going to do that again. So a lot of times we make a lot of assumptions that dogs know more than they actually know, you know, like they don't know, you know, you know, that they shouldn't do this or, or they should do that. Like, 
it just do they do what works for them and what's works and so like they could figure out like on the couch well they could figure out well when mom's sitting on the couch she doesn't like me on the couch but nobody does anything when no one's home like i get on the couch so it must be okay when no one's home but maybe i'm not supposed to get up there when mom's on the couch you know so we we sometimes just assume that they understand this grand scheme of everything else that we do and they do pay attention but what they pay attention to more is our body language our routines our our behavior because they're not drowned out by all this verbal they don't get the verbal stuff which can confuse things but also helps explain things as humans they don't have that benefit so we have to show them we have to you know be consistent so they can start predicting patterns and routine with us and then they know what to do but that's also comes up with a lot of self-awareness and usually what happens and this happens just yesterday i was in in agility because i taught agility last night and this woman's dog was doing okay with weave pulls. And then the closer we were getting with weave pulls, the tighter her leash was getting, which means actually restricted her dog's movement. And he was messing up. And it was so funny. She had all these excuses of why he was messing up. You know, oh, well, we missed class last week and all this. And I said, how about you loosen your leash and let him do it himself? And he was perfect. And he hit it every single time. And I'm just like, you have to let, you know, let him learn it. And, you know, you can't, it's just like my kids, like I can't do their homework for them and expect that they're going to be able to pass tests. I can't, you know, do everything for them and expect that they're going to figure out how to do that. You know, they might need help and guidance to get there. But if I did all my kids homework, when it came time for tests, they're going to fail the test because they right. never learned the the homework. So letting them learn, but then also gauging it. And you're also with a puppy going to have days where they're really on it and like, oh, this could be a really good training session. And then you're going to have days where they're tired or fatigued, they're growing, they're hungry, they're full, you know, I mean, so just like us, where you may start a training session and you're like, oh, this is not going very well. And so you can choose to shorten it. There's no rule that it has to be any certain time and not a positive. So you're both are happy when it ends. So next time you come, it's not like, Oh God, training, you know, it's like, Oh, that was fun. So it's always better to end on a positive for both of you. And some days you might have a bigger training session than others based on them and yourself. You know, like if you're kind of cranky and irritated, you're not going to be able to teach as well as if, if you're like fresh and you're excited about it. So, um, you know, that is something else people don't always think about is like, you know, they might be tired. They might be cranky. They go, when you have puppies, I mean, they grow so much. So the growing pains are there. And then the fatigue from having all of that changing of your cells and your muscles and your, everything's growing. So allowing that to have days that they're going to be better and worse. If you don't practice at all, they're not going to learn. And I always laugh because I could tell in classes, you know, who's practiced and who's hasn't practiced. And um, then even if the people will, they'll first say, oh yeah, well, we practiced. And then the dog has no clue. And I'm like, well, how many times? Well, maybe we didn't practice enough. And I'm like, it's not worth lying to me and telling me that you've practiced because you're only lying to yourself. Like, it doesn't matter to me if your puppy's trained or not down the road, right. like this is your life. So do, you know, just do the work. So, yeah. Yeah. I want to sort of double down on, on what is sort of the big theme of like, some days are going to be better than other days for you and for your puppy. And that's 
okay. I realized a couple things like when we're starting a training session, if I just out the gate say sit, then he's going to turn Godzilla dog. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, but I, what I found is if I do, you know, five lures with my hand, mm-hmm. he's going to sit perfectly every time that I'm luring and then he can get the verbal sit. And yes. so just sort of to ellis- illustrate this, like waking up period. Mm-hmm. But then I want to remind you too, I would, you and I were talking and I was like, man, I'm just not being successful at training he keeps doing Godzilla dog like I just it's just not working and you said well Emily when are you training and I was like well you know like we wake up and I let him out to go potty and then like I try and do like 10 minutes of training and she's like but maybe he's tired maybe he doesn't like do you want to go to school five minutes after you've woken up no and guess what I like, I don't either. Like in my my ideal world, I wake up, I go downstairs, I get a cup of coffee, I bring it back upstairs and and I drink it in bed. And I, it's just kind of like chill and relaxing. And so your observation was like, your your puppy probably wants the same thing as you do. So I've started, we've done two mornings now where I, I wake up, I bring him down with me. He goes potty while I get coffee. Then we come back upstairs and he chews a rawhide in bed. Like judge what judge as you wish that I allow my puppy in my bed and that I allow him to chew rawhide, whatever. It's my life. And, um, <laughs> and then I get to drink my coffee while he's chewing his rawhide. So just like, you know, he, maybe he didn't know he didn't want to go to school right after. And like, we all need this sort of adjustment period to get ready to learn. Exactly. Exactly. And especially with the puppies, you know, when they get like, they're not used to like being on now with captain, he's 14 and a half and scouts 11 and they've been doing training on and off their whole life. And last week we did some video segments for um, truly force free. And, um, you know, I bring them out of their kennel and they come out ready to go, but they know, like, it's like, okay, it's go time. It's like, you know, oh good we're gonna do all and they're doing simple things like sit and down so they're like oh, mom's not I'm not teaching him anything new we are reviewing stuff because it's for video purposes and so they actually have learned that this is like but when they, we first started video they didn't know the people it was very distracting they didn't understand so like I'd have to kind of warm them up a little bit more now they know the routine of it and they're like oh this is what we're gonna do but if I took them over Christmas you know we took them to an Airbnb and it was so funny because we used to live in a house with hard floors. Now we have mostly carpet and scout. My Jack Russell was like afraid of the hard floors, which was like, what the heck is wrong with, you know, like she didn't want to walk across them, but I was worried about captain slipping on them, but he didn't care. He was fine. It was just crazy. But if I had tried to do training in that environment, as soon as we got there, there is no way that even though Sid is pretty fluent, that Captain would have sat because it's his default and Scout would have some, but she was so stressed out about the floors that it would have taken her a second to be able to do it. And there's all these smells and there's all these different things. And so, you know, I don't go into a new environment and expect them, you know, to be able to do anything. It's, I was telling somebody just recently, like I went to Africa and had flown 24 or more hours and I was exhausted when we checked into the hotel and we check in at like four of course, we're in Africa. They don't start dinner till seven or eight o'clock at night. I'm like, how the heck am I going to stay awake for four more hours before we get dinner? You know, if I lay down, I'm done for the night. 
so I was, wouldn't have been able to work. I wouldn't have been able to think, but then all of a sudden the animals started coming down to the watering hole and I was super distracted again, super distracted, new environment, exhausted, could watch that it be, you know, kept engaged. But you, I, if I was expected to have been at a conference or do any kind of learning, there was going to be no learning till the next day. So I just explored the um, environment, you know, and like, just let that be enough. And then if I wasn't, I wasn't on vacation, so I wasn't there to, to, to work. But if I was the next day, I would have been able to, to work. Same thing. If I go to a conference, you know, and I fly into Vegas or I fly somewhere, I like getting there the day before if I can, so that I can get adjusted to my hotel and sleep. And then the next morning I'm ready to learn. If I have to fly in first thing in the morning, go straight to the conference, I can do it because I've done it, but I'm just not going to be as efficient at it. It's not going to be as effective. So we have to think about that with ourselves, you know, just like if you wake up, I am not, I have to, I do some paperwork first thing in the morning, but if, for the most part, I'm not a first thing in the morning, like training person. And I also, after about eight o'clock at night, my mental capacity shuts down unless it's urgent that I have to get something done, but then I'm not going to be as effective at it. It's going to take me longer to do. So, um, yeah, yeah. So we have to just think about, and with these puppies, we're talking about babies who are still developing. So think about a five-year-old child or, you know, a four-year-old child. Like <laughs> we have to lower our expectations of, but so we can successfully, and we don't frustrate them because frustrate when you get frustrated, when you're learning, nothing will be fun after that. Absolutely not. So I'm curious too about rewarding good behavior versus creating an unwanted chain of behaviors. So Teddy has discovered that there are horizontal surfaces above his head, such as chairs, the couch, the bed, the counter, the table. And sure, just like, you know, when we opened, you know, when he puts his paws up on the counter, he gets my attention. You know, when he puts his paws on the floor, I reward him because his paws are on the floor. That's what I'm rewarding. But how do I, how does a unwanted chain get created? Uh, how do you avoid it in the first place? And how do you undo it once it is established? So that an unwanted chain will happen because the dog does something. It commonly happens with jumping up. And then if dog jumps up, person says sit, dog gets treat. Dog doesn't realize that it was just the sit that got the treat. It was, they can sometimes go, oh, jumping up and sit, that's what gets the treat. Not all dogs will chain like that. Some, it just depends on how they think and what their thinking process is and what they're going through. So, but if you have a dog that does that, you have to be very aware of, you know, what you're doing. So a lot of times with unwanted behaviors that aren't, you know, terrible, unwanted behaviors, you either manage them. So, um, like if you don't want them jumping on the counters, you need to make sure there's a baby gate so they can't get on the counters when you're not home because then they're practicing that behavior one. That also means sometimes it's better to not give it attention. So like you've probably seen me in puppy class, like puppies jump on me all the time because I've got this magic treat pouch, but I don't push them off. I don't need them. I do nothing. I just turn my back. I walk away. I ignore them, you know, I go over and see another puppy. Um, if they're really insistent, I might, you know, gently put them down, but I don't like, and then I just walk away. You know, they get, I redirect them to another puppy if they're really obsessing. I'll hide my treats, you know, put them in my back instead of my front, depending in real, like if I'm working privately, I 
five dogs who obsess over my treat pouch, I put it up. I take it off and I put it on a counter. I put it, you know, somewhere far away. I do that a lot in privates that if I go to someone's house, if the dog's obsessing. So I'm trying to not give the unwanted part any extra attention on X, you know, and then what I do is I set it up. So like in the count, like in, if you notice that every time he ran into the kitchen, he jumped up on the counter. When he jumped, ran in, you be ready. And then you tell him to sit or down or go to a mat or do what you want him to do before he even has the opportunity to do the unwanted behavior so that he starts to learn, like, like you're doing in bed, like you don't want him to be on the bed and chewing on you while you're drinking your coffee. So you're giving him something else to do. So he learns, oh, in the morning, this is our behavior. We go down, we go potty, we come back up and this is what we do. And so he never has a chance of learning something else because you set him up for the pattern you want. So like with counter surfing and things, one, it's making sure they don't get rewarded accidentally. So it's kind of like puppy proofing or baby proofing your house making sure that you don't have something that they can get because if they get cheese or bread or meat off the counter, you have just created a monster where they're like, I'm going to keep looking. So if you went to Vegas and the first time you went to Vegas, you did a slot machine and you won a million dollars, you would be wanting to go to Vegas all the time with the expectation that you could win a million dollars. And that's going to be a lot harder to break then if you're like me, who goes to Vegas and you put $20 in a slot machine and you win maybe five back if you're lucky and then you spend it and you're like, well, that's stupid. Now I'm out money and I'm not motivated to go gamble in Vegas because I never went big, <laughs> you know, and I don't really like this, all, all the other stuff. So it's not motivating for me, but I'll tell you. So our one of our local grocery stores, you put your receipt in if you save a certain amount and you put it in the little slot. And I have won that twice. Let me tell you, I put my receipt in that box every grocery store trip because I've won it twice. I have gone to that grocery store for three years every week. I've only won it twice, but I have actually won it. So it makes me want to repeat that behavior. If I never won it, I might after a while just forget it. I'm not going to do this anymore. So it's not worth it but because I've won it. And so when your dog wins a steak, a beef or whatever, they're going to keep trying because it was a big win. Um, so you try to manage, prevent, you know, and then teach them what you want them to do before they get those unwanted behaviors. And if they have started to change, so like dogs who've learned jump, sit, jump on you, sit, jump on you, sit. Then I say heavily start teaching them. You need to be aware that when they're approaching you, they're probably going to jump. And you cue them to sit before they have a chance to jump. So then, and that's when you treat them. And then if they, if you miss it, you walk away and you ignore it. And then pretty soon they start to go, well, I get the treat if I sit, but I get ignored when I jump. Oh, if I sit, I'm going to sit more. I'm going to sit more. And then using a high enough value treat that it makes a, an impact. So it comes down to, I, that's why I have this webinar, you know, now it's not just about training. It's so much about our behavior and our awareness and people think they just go through dog training like they're doing a um, online class you know where they can just like go through the motions and no it's like how you interact with your animal or your dog tells a lot you know because a lot of times we do make the mistakes like you know we 
talk to them all the time. We don't even, we're not even aware of what we do. We do things constantly. Like I have some people who are constantly touching their dog and it becomes self-soothing and there becomes codependency and that's a whole nother, you know, thing. But it's like, now, does your dog really want to be pet or is it just like this is conditioned that this is what I'm supposed to do and letting them have that. So when you're with the puppy, it's it's creating those things. But that's also becoming very self-aware. Like, oh, when I walk in the door and my dog's free or my puppy's free and I let them jump up on me because I'm excited to see them and they're excited to see me and I pet them and say, oh, I missed you so much. And then I five minutes later, I'm not, don't want to greet them anymore. And they jump up on me. I can't get mad at them. I just reinforce them for that. So now they're confused. And then that's when barking can happen or humping can happen or biting your feet can happen because you're not being clear. Clarity is kindness. And that is the truth with puppies and dogs training too. The clearer you are, the kinder you are, and it's going to make your relationship better. That is why I like balance trainers or people who do a combination of punishment and positive, but their timing is all messed up. Their dog, their relationship, their dog can be really messed up because the dog can't predict what you're doing because life's not predictable at all. And sometimes life isn't going to be predictable. That's just how it is. But if we can create some things that are predictable, it's easier. We do better when our life is somewhat predictable. You know, when we have a COVID taught us this a lot, you know, when you have a routine or a schedule, a time that you wake up, when you have to be at school, when you take your lunch, when you do your exercise, when you see your friends, it doesn't have to be depending on you and your life. It can be loose or, or tight, but that clarity of what is expected for the day is a lot easier. And even if you go on like vacation, if it's all scattered and you don't know what you're doing, it's not as relaxing sometimes as either you decide we're just sitting on the beach all day and that's the expectation and that's all we're doing. Or we're going on these tours and these tours are already, there's, we know, okay, we have to be there at this time. It's, it's that routine decreases stress and frustration. And then if you're, if you've got 90% or 80% routine, you know, some expectation, you know, what's expected, you throw in a 10 to 20% loophole because life happens, you're able to cope with it better because the rest of your life is still organized. And it's like, okay, you know, oh, like, oh, that client canceled on me today. Okay. Um, well, the rest of the day is okay. Let me see. I have this whole list that I've been working off of to do. I can just go do that. And because I have some schedule, if I have nothing, it's very overwhelming to be figuring out because the day's changed. How am I supposed to manage? And with your puppies, if you have a somewhat of a routine. They know what to expect. They get better. And then you have a vet visit thrown in when they normally would take a nap. Okay. For this day, it's going to be off, but tomorrow we'll be back on schedule. Having that clarity for your everyday expectation and clarity in your training. Like I have this sometimes where people recall, they'll say, I say, say their name and come or their name in here or whatever. So like Fido come, Fido here. So it's very clear. And I'll have people like one family member says, come here. And then one says, come, come, come. And one says, let's go this way. And I'm like, oh my God, your puppy doesn't even know one word yet for come. And now you've just offered 25 and they don't really know what's happening. And they're, they're very confused. And then if you don't treat them every time, they don't know if they did it right or not, because there's no clarity on that. So having that helps so much with training. Okay. So, so the house 
is puppy proofed for the for the most part, right? So the kitchen is quote unquote like puppy proofed in a safe space. And so he might put his paws up on the counter, but there's nothing for her, him to get. The reward is me paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. And so and and you know we we talked and it's important for him to learn to exist without my constant attention. So we'll mm-hmm. be sitting in the kitchen and he'll be you know, playing with toys or doing a food toy or chewing on a rawhide or something. But then he decides he wants my attention. So he goes and puts his paws up on the counter. So what I'm hearing is a make sure that that doesn't slip, that he doesn't get a million dollar payout with the steak accidentally. But B, I can tell when he's about to put his paws on the counter. So in that moment before he does it, I can call him to me or, you know, redirect him in some way yes, so that he doesn't, he doesn't get to putting his paws on the counter. And then if he does do it and you missed it, you're better off just ignoring him if he's not going to be able to get anything. And, and especially when, you know, like, it's like, I jumped up on the counter. Where are you? Come tell me to get off. And you don't, you don't respond. He's like, oh, well, that didn't work. And you do that a couple times. But then on those other times, you're able to redirect and tell him to come to you. He's going to go, oh, well, that's not going to work, you know, at all. Because it's like, okay, well, I didn't get anything from that. We all do. It's humans. We do the same thing. (laughs) If, If you, like, let's say that I brought you coffee every single day and you never said thank you. You never said you appreciated it. After a while, I'd be like, well, screw Emily. I'm not going to give her coffee anymore. But if you say thank you, oh, that sounds great. I really appreciate it. I'm more likely to want to do it just for that feedback, right. you know? So 100%. yeah, it's the same you know, thing. Well, and my follow-up question, and I'm going to make Teddy sound like such a spoiled little baby. And some may think that he is, but I, he's like desensitized to rawhide so Uh like in in this kitchen example that I keep coming back to like he has so many toys he has his Kong wobbler he has a food dispensing ball he's got a rawhide he might like he just has he has all this stuff so I'm like why are you putting your paws on the counter you have everything possible to like keep you very active and entertained so like is being desensitized something that happens and how do I fix that well it can be I mean that's how any of us are you know like we always like come sometimes want more we want different things I know I remember hearing Wayne Dyer talk one time and he was like yeah we had a big giant like huge container M&Ms always on our counter in the kitchen they're his kids hardly ever ate them because they were always there now neighbor's kids whose parents said they couldn't have them would eat a whole bunch of them so you can but it's also a matter of like changing it up because we all need you know change so you know we don't want to eat the same food every day we don't want to go to the same places every day you don't go to the same vacation all the time or you know like there's some things like there you might do some things are the same so with puppies it's also like I always tell people food toys should only be down when you're feeding them to don't have that be available all the time. So a Kong wobbler, kibble nibble ball, Buster food cube, fill it with the food, put it down, 
And then they play with that to eat and everything and then pick it up. So it's only available for mealtime so that it's not just like sitting there where it's like, oh, well, because what also can happen is they could go to it and it's empty. And then they're like, oh, and then they lose interest. You want it to always be, you know, fun food stuff. Like once they get older, like I have Kongs everywhere because, you know, but like I have a toy box and my Jack Russell, she's 11. She'll still go through there at night and see what toys did somebody else chew on. And she digs through it and she's like, oh, I want this bone and I want this toy. And sometimes I laugh at her choices. I'm like, interesting. Like a couple of nights ago, it was the antler. She has that antler, you know, I mean, it was just in the box. I don't know if somebody else chewed on it, made it taste better, but she was carrying around an antler like she was a puppy. And I'm like, okay, but it's always because things rotate, you know, I pick things up, I put things away and these are older, but for puppies, you really need to change it up because they can get kind of bored of the same thing over and over, you know? So switching up, that's why I love Kong so much is because you can change what you put in the Kong every single day, every single, you know, so it's the same toy, but the food that they get can be anything from, you know, pumpkin to dog food, you know, anything. So you know, it's a, it's a constantly changing, you know, situation that can happen. So you have to also remember that part when you have puppies is that their attention span short. So if it's the same thing we do, I think about if you drive the same place way to work every single day, you can get home and go, did I stop at that stoplight? Did I stop at that? Because we just turn off stuff that's every day. Now, if somebody ran in front of your car, you're going to remember that today we went on our walk before this call and I went the same way and, you know, no big deal. And I wouldn't think anything of it, except I was driving and there was a bus at the in and out station, which because a bunch of kids were there and I'm like, that's weird. Interesting. I wonder, you know, some sports team or something stopped there to get lunch. And these, this couple at the same time crossed totally jaywalked and I saw them and my brain was like, oh my gosh, kids on one side, people on one side. I remember that part of our, my drive today. But if that hadn't happened and you would have said, right. did you see anybody there? I'd be like, oh, oh I don't remember. I, I don't tuned know. it out because it wasn't different. It wasn't unique. So that's where having a variety of food toys, changing it up, you know, giving different things, different flavored things so that there's always a variety, number one. So that's one thing. And I'm really a big proponent of teaching puppies and dogs to be independent. So I love toys like that so they can play. But there is also a set, and I can tell you that even my old dogs, that there's a part that we want, depending on their love language, if they want physical touch or attention or quality time. And if that need isn't being met, then he might seek out like, oh, well, I need some quality time with my mom. So he might be doing that too. And I can tell you, I can see that in my dog. So Captain is 14 and a half. He doesn't do a lot, but, and I work from home. So I'm in and out of my room all the day. and. He's laying on the bed. He gets a kiss on the head. He gets lots of attention. Well, if I go away for a day, whether I'm working out of the house all day, maybe I've got clients out of the house. I've got classes. I'm doing a seminar. I'm at a water polo tournament. When I come home, if I have been gone all day and he hasn't had like some pets and some kisses that night when we sleep, he sleeps on, I have a California King and I have like a sliver of bed because he and Scout are on top of me, like have to touch me while the whole night, like she's not going anywhere. We got her for six or eight hours. We got her, you know, and we're going to make sure she doesn't go anywhere. Now, if I've been home and we've been cleaning the house or I've been doing things, I've been home all the time. 
they'll sleep on the opposite side. Like, okay, we had our time, you know, we don't need to be right here. So it's paying attention to that too, because they have all of those connections with us. So if you're busy on your computer and you start to notice that, gosh, after three hours, he starts, you know, like he wakes up from his nap and he's playing with those toys and I've been busy ignoring him. Maybe he needs it. And it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be five hours of playtime. Maybe you go, hmm, every time at three hours, he starts to jump on the counter or something, whatever, probably not three hours because he'd be sleeping by then. But say at 45 minutes, he's played with his toys for 45 minutes and now he's kind of bored of his toys, but he wants a little time with you. Set your timer or whatever, set your time up so you can go, okay, now we're going to do our training. Now we're going to do some cuddle time. Now we're going to do something that he enjoys for 15 minutes. And then he's going to go back and take his nap. And then right. all the needs are met because um, I used to do a lot of nonviolent communication, NBC in kindergarten and preschool with my kids. And when our unwanted behaviors are done by humans, it's usually because there's an unmet need. So an unmet need leads to problem behaviors, problem behaviors we don't like, or, you know, feelings and emotions that anger, frustration, confusion stuff. But when your needs are all met, so you've got your, not just your basic survival needs, food, you know, water, shelter, but your love, your connection, your play, when all those needs are met, there's less negative emotions or, you know, and unwanted behavior. So that's a big thing I like to talk to people about, like, that's where sleep comes in. Cause most people complain to me that their mouth, their dog is mouthing. And I'm like, well, are they getting enough sleep? And usually not. And once that need is met, a lot of behaviors go away because that need is met. I've had dogs who have to have meals three times a day. They don't get that middle meal. They are cranky and tired. And as soon as they meet that need, all the behaviors go away. Like that's all we had to do. Okay. Those are my favorite because those are easy fixes. To close this out, I have one more like very specific question that I'm having trouble with. So, you know, we, we always talk about, you know, every, everything that we do is force free, right. Mm -hmm. And he needs to go in his kennel to take naps. And, Mm -hmm. but he knows that when we go upstairs, that's when he's going to have to take a nap and go in the kennel. So I started with like throwing a treat up the stairs. So he would, I'm kind of luring him up the Uh stairs, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm starting to wean him back on that where like he used to get, you know, three treats up the stairs. Now he just gets one when he gets all the way to the top. But now we're in this really nice habit where like I put this little like breadcrumb trail of treats like leading him into the kennel. Mm -hmm. And then of course there's the peanut butter Kong in the kennel and more treats. But I'm just like, come on, my dude. Like I don't, I don't need to, I'm not going to keep like breadcrumbing trailing you into your kennel so just tell me how to fix that so (laughs) one thing you have to remember is you've only had him two months and you have to remember this is all you know very new and at the beginning you carried him up and down the stairs so it's probably only a short period of time that he's actually going up and down the stairs to get into his crate number one two we talk about patterns and routines If the only time during the day you go back up the stairs is to put him into the bed, he's like, going up the stairs means that I'm going to be away from mom and I don't want to do that. So you need to also make sure that you're doing other times so it's not predictable. Like, oh, we're going to go up the stairs 
and play ball or play up in the bedroom for a few minutes. And, you know, we're going to do it. So you don't do, you know, cause and effect. So he goes up right now. If you look at it, super simple. I go up the stairs, I go in my crate and I'm separated from mom. I get all these other positive things, but I'm separated from mom. Like, and that's the only time it's kind of like with recall. If the only time you say come at the park is when the leash is going on, you're not doing anything mean. You're not, you know, fighting him or anything, but he has figured out, they figure out that coming at the dog park means that the leash is going on and the fun is over. So I am not going to come. I'm not going to do it. So what you need to do is have other times of day where you go upstairs, you go in the bedroom, you know, maybe part of your training is running up and down the stairs for fun. You know, like you toss a treat up, like recall, you know, toss a treat up the stairs, call him back down, toss a treat up. Maybe you go hide upstairs. He's downstairs. You go upstairs and you call him and he runs up the stairs and he gets a treat. And then you throw the treat in the kennel, but he can come back out. You know, you throw the treat in the kennel and he can come back out. Then you make it so it's like, oh, this is all like fun. And it's not always because right now it's go up the stairs, go in the kennel and you're locked in. And you're not spending any time in the, your bedroom necessarily during the day. So he's like, well, that's what this means. And what's happening. And this is where people don't like positive reinforcement. Cause I go, oh, I have to bribe my dog, but we usually end up bribing our dog is when we're not thinking about the big picture of like teaching them, you know, and we're missing this little piece of like his routine of I'm going up and down the stairs. So I just did Melissa and I just did a video of captain going in his crate. Cause captain, um, if he gets, if I have a bone, a Kong, a big tree, even a little treat sometimes he's like, oh, I'll go in my crate. Okay, I'll go in my crate and I'll go in my crate. Like sometimes I'm like, you didn't need to go in your crate, dude. You know, and he just, that's his, he sees a tour and we used it for video for a positive reinforcement webinar I'm doing to show how dogs associate things. So he sees anything and he goes in his crate because he, when he was younger, you know, got lots of things and would get, we'd have a housekeeper come twice a month and he got a peanut butter crate Kong every time she came and at first he was sort of upset and he wanted to see who was there pretty soon he was like would those ladies please come clean the house again so i can get another peanut butter like he it became a positive thing but you have to make sure it's not a routine now scout is a little more skeptical she's not as a willing participant in any kind of training she always has an opinion as just her personality and i don't get worked up about it i just know so like today we were doing the video and i had two kongs that have peanut butter in it because it was a 20 second video but i was like captain sees it like we had to be ready because captain's so fast that as soon as he sees it, he's in there. So we had to like prep this whole thing. Sees Kong, he runs in. Scout sees Kong and I locked captain in for oh. video's sake. I locked it in and she's like, hmm. And I'm like, well, you don't get it if you don't go in. And she's like, okay, I'll go in. And then she went in and, and it was fine. But she always just, just like we know people who you say, oh, you should try this food. And they're like, let me think about it. And then others are like, sure, let me try it. It's just personality. And so, but with Teddy and in this specific incident, his routine of, you know, you do everything downstairs. He knows that's when he's separated from you. Like you're doing in your morning routine now where you're having him up on the crate. He's going back up the stairs now that will probably start changing going up the stairs. And then maybe what you start to do before you come back down the stairs after your coffee and his chew time, throw a couple treats in his crate. So he runs in, gets a treat. He comes back out because you're not going to lock it. 
And then he goes back down the stairs. You know, you go upstairs to take a shower, you know, say, and he comes up with you. You do a little training. Then you put him in his crate while you're in the shower, but you're still up there. Like you didn't abandon him and go down the stairs, you know. So you go upstairs and in the evening, instead of maybe watching TV downstairs, you go up and sit on the floor and watch it upstairs or you have them in his crate upstairs. That's where some dogs that even feed their meals for some dogs. It's effective to feed their meals in a crate because then they are in their crate just to eat. And then they come out and they go sleep. Love their crate so much that just being in that safety of that confinement is reinforcing. And I have some dogs that we actually have to work like lock the crate so they don't go in the crate all the time because they're anxious and that's where their comfort zone is. But for most, it's the opposite. So just making it so it's like, okay, this is just what we're doing. This is fun. Dogs are so smart. So like Mm -hmm. he'll, like if I need to run upstairs to change clothes or to get a pair of shoes or, or whatever, he'll run with me. But it's when I have a Kong in my hand, Mm -hmm. then he's like, "Mm, you're going to have to lure me up here. Exactly. So that's super helpful. We'll start to work on that. But I want to. And you might even run up uh, the stairs and leave a Kong like pre-made if, you know, up there that you leave up earlier. So you're not part of that trigger isn't, you know, see captain sees the Kong and he's like, oh, "Oh, yes, I get to go. But if Teddy sees it as a negative or when you run up for the stairs, he gets it while you get your shoes. This is what people don't recognize with dogs. Dogs don't have words. So they're paying attention to everything we do. And we are creatures of habit, we do things very predictably. When you do what I do, I see human behavior now as predictable behavior. You know, I mean, it's very rare that a person goes off of their predictable behavior and you start to see it, but you have to really look at it because you can't be bogged down by all the other noise, quote unquote noise that's outside and dogs pay attention. And that's why, I mean, some dogs are clueless. There are dogs who are like, whatever, I didn't even notice you did that. But some smart dogs pay really close attention. And Teddy happens to come from a service dog line. And service dogs are trained to hyper-focus on their human because I just added this to a webinar where, you know, guide dogs, we teach our dogs to disobey if there's a reason to disobey. Like it's a, a guide dog that's walking with a blind person. If the person says walk forward and there's an obstacle in the way, the dog is taught to quote unquote disobey them so that the person doesn't get hurt. And then the person has to be trained to go, there must be an obstacle here, which takes a lot of trust. You know, there must be an obstacle here to go around and then trust the dog going. It's just like if a blind person is going to cross the street and a car is coming, the dog is trained to say, nope, we're not going. I know you told me to go, but I'm not going. Um, because they're so aware of all those little nuances, we train them to to watch for those things. We train them seizures, you know, anything that like we train them to be paying attention to us or we breed them some breeds to pay attention to us more. But then we get confused when they're paying so much attention to us and all the fine details. But that's what we've asked for. And particularly like Teddy is the perfect example of a dog who comes from a line that's for service dogs. So she looks for dogs who are going to turn to the human and pay attention to what the human is doing. Where when you have dogs that are like herding dogs and farming, you know, like border collies or Australian shepherds or something that are supposed to work out in the field and they're supposed to have independent thinking without a human, 
we breed those differently, mm. you know, I mean, and that's why there's so many different breeds that do different jobs. Shout out to our first podcast where we talk about how to sele- selecting a breed and a breeder and all and all that stuff. But I digress. I, <laughs> I want to give one plug to something that you said in puppy class last week, which was you need to have little treat stations around your whole house so that when there's a behavior you want to reward or something to redirect from, like, you don't need to go downstairs to get a treat. Like they're just in all of your main spaces. And I went to Ross this weekend and I got the cutest little white lidded jars that Mm -hmm. look so cute on all my tables. And then I just put those Zooks in them. So it's like, doesn't need to be refrigerated. It's a tiny little treat. I got them in the kitchen department. So it's almost like a sugar container. Yes. Yeah. It has a, it can come off really easy, but it does have a little seal. Seal. So then the smell Mm -hmm. doesn't get all over my house. So I just want to put that plug out there. You don't have to have treat bags all over your house. You don't have to have ugly containers. I didn't, I don't like having to like screw it off. Right. It like takes too much time to access. So like, I'm just so tickled with these little ceramic containers that I found. Cause like they don't detract from the decor around my yes. house. They just like, look like a cute little container that's on this table. So well, and that's what, and sometimes, although it's out. getting, I'm losing my generations that know this joke, but a lot of times I say, you know, it's like your grandma had candy jars all over. My grandma had those little mints and, and all those like random candies that you get throughout our house, like, and you just have those glass candy jars throughout that you would be able to grab from. It's the same idea is you just have those all over. I just have bags of treats everywhere. So, you know, I have some by this everywhere in my house. Having them readily available makes it easier because you can also, so if you're in your bedroom, you're like, you know what? We're sitting here watching TV. I want to do, you know, five minutes, a couple sits. Okay. Now you've done it and you don't have to like go downstairs and make it a big deal. The biggest thing about training is if if we make it too hard for ourselves, it won't happen. Like anything. If you make exercise too hard, it's not going to happen. If you ain't making nutrition too hard, it's not going to happen. Anything you make too hard, it's just not going to happen. So making it easier for yourself and setting yourself up for success helps you and your puppy. Teddy is kind of bred to really hyper focus and, and pay attention. So he notices when I get my clicker out and he notices when I put my treat pouch on. So I I'm sort of integrating all of this. And it can be a good like, signal. So if I know I'm doing an intentional training session, putting my treat pouch on and stuff, my dog's doing the same thing. Okay. This is an intentional training session. I'm teaching some skills, kind of like you go to school for an intentional I'm school. class. I'm at school. But sometimes I'll just use driving because my son just learned how to drive. So when he went to drive, did driver's ed classes, that was intentional. When he did driving practice with a teacher or me, it was intentional. Well, now he has his license and he's got to learn some real life stuff. So like I'm less teacher and I'm sitting back, obviously, if it's something really dangerous, but I'm making him make some of his own choices and it's not such a planned thing so because things could happen out of the blue I taught captain head down like put his head on his paws um if I had got my training pouch out it would have ruined it all because he would have gotten too excited 
And, but he always put his head on his paws when we'd get ready for bed. Like I would be, you know, putting my socks on or putting lotion on my feet or whatever. I'd sit on the edge of my bed and he wouldn't just sit there and lay and look at me and put his head down. So I prepared that secretly by putting treats in a pocket, you know, and my clicker in a pocket so he didn't see it. And then I sat on the bed like I was just getting my socks on and getting ready for bed. And then I waited. And then when he put his head down, I clicked and I treated, but there still was no big deal. And it was a lower value treat. It was Teddy Bear or Charlie Bear. So it wasn't smelly, you know. And then he was able to repeat it because he got rewarded over and over, but it wasn't like a big ta-da. He could stay in a more calmer state. So we just have to choose different ways of using the tools that we have. Well, awesome. Awesome. Well, that I think concludes another positive puppy podcast. If like I said, check out our old ones. And if you know someone who has a puppy, definitely share this with them. Check it out. We are just going to continue collecting information for you as Teddy grows up. And hopefully all the puppy questions will, will be answered by if you listen to our podcast. Well, thank you, Emily, thank for you, being friend. here. And I will see you guys out again soon.